Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to look at verse 17. It says, but whoever is united with the Lord. How many here are whoever today? Raise your hand if you've believed on Jesus Christ. It says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, I love this verse because it's, it's so deep. It says so much about our relationship with God. But here's the deal. I think a lot of times we don't really understand what that means. Have you ever just read the Bible sometimes and it feels like you're just reading words, but it doesn't really connect here in your heart? And I think a lot of times with this scripture and many others, we see this and we're like, okay, whoever's united with Christ, that's me, is one with him in spirit. But we don't really see ourselves as one with him in spirit. And, you know, the Apostle Paul goes to great length. In fact, in Galatians, he tells us that we've been clothed with Christ, like we're literally wearing Christ. In Colossians, he tells us that Christ is in us. In Ephesians, he tells us that we are in Christ. So if this is true, if we really have this connection, and that word united actually, when it says united in the original language, means that we're cemented together. Like you can't pull yourself apart from Christ. This is how it is. This is new life in him. So get used to it. So I'm here to really say this today. If this is true, I think it's time for us to get comfortable with Jesus. I really do. I think it's time for us to get comfortable with Jesus. I think for a lot of us, and me included, I would struggle with this idea. I knew I was in Christ. He was in me. I knew I was born again. I I knew that, you know, when I die, if I were to walk out today and just keel over, I, I knew where I'd be in eternity. But to really understand here in this present time on this earth that we're united, that we're clothed, that he's in us, that we're in him, do we really get what that means? And are we comfortable with that idea. Because I would look at myself. I would look at my actions. I would look at you know, what I'm going through, my issues, my addictions, and say, I don't know how he can be united with this. Well, it's because he's made me brand new, a new creature at the core. This is who I am now, and I have to see myself that way. And once I do, then I get comfortable with who I am in Christ. I get comfortable with the Jesus, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, his spirit that's in me, and then suddenly I start to walk out that flow of good works and fruit. But until we're comfortable, it's not going to happen. And I love this. The word comfortable means providing ease and relaxation. How many times in your relationship with God, with Jesus, have you felt at ease and relaxation? Now, I hope more often than not, but I think for a lot of us, it's it's a struggle at times. Here's some synonyms. Free from hardship, well-to-do, luxurious, warm, pleasant, agreeable. Now, here's a word we use a lot, restful. How about this? I love this word, home-like. Do you feel at home with Jesus? Let's talk about that today. Let's talk about this idea of being comfortable with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have another opportunity this morning to gain truth and insight. Revelation from you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that this morning will not be just mere words that I say, my opinion, but your words, Holy Spirit, your opinion, how you see us. I pray that as, as we leave these doors this morning, that we would be more comfortable with you than we ever have before. 
We'd walk in that freedom and that comfort that you can only provide. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Can you remember a time in your life where you felt out of place or uncomfortable? Think about that for a minute. Where you felt out of place, you felt uncomfortable, maybe in a, a social setting or, or wherever it could be. You know, we've all faced these, these different issues in life of feeling comfortable in a place or not feeling comfortable in a certain place. And I think today with as much segregation and division that's happening, especially here in our nation, I think it's tough for us really to feel comfortable together. And I think we should, especially as, as kingdom people, right? Especially as those who are in the kingdom, those who call God their father, Jesus their savior, and the Holy Spirit their leader and director in their life. I think we should have some type of unity. How many would agree with that? But we need to be comfortable in that. Uh, it, it brings up this idea, this story, of when Kristen and I first started dating. Some of you might be familiar with this story, but when Kristen and I first started dating, I remember our first official date. And so I was really excited. I called her up, and uh, we had gone out one time with some mutual friends. It wasn't really a date. It was just like one friend invited another, and we kind of showed up at the same place. So this was my official thing. So I'm like, I dialed the phone, <clears throat> and I had to get my, you know, my cool voice. I'm like, what's up, girl? No, I didn't do that. Hey, uh, Kristen, I was just wondering uh, if you wanted to hang out like tomorrow night, like, like, you know, tomorrow night. She's like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'm free. But I said, hey, let's, let's hang out. And I said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go back to my place? Those are always the wrong words to use, right? Let's go back to my place and we could just watch a movie and get some food and just hang out, you know, and relax together and, you know, get to know each other. And she goes, hey, you know, I love that idea about us getting together and watching a movie, but instead of your place, can we do it at my mom's house? Well, first of all, first thing I thought was, are we back in high school, right? We're going to your mom's house. Secondly, I thought, do I really give off like this psycho vibe that you don't want to go back to my place, back to my house? And so, you know, me being the guy I was said, yeah, sure, any reason to be with you. And so what's funny is I lived in Grand Blanc at the time, and she lived out in Genesee. It's about a 20, 25-minute drive. And so I drove out to pick her up to come all the way back to Flint Grand Blanc area to get a movie, to go all the way back to her mom's house to watch a movie together and hang. That's how much I was infatuated with her. Doesn't infatuation make you do crazy things? Like, I, I couldn't say that I loved her yet. I was just infatuated. But I did all this just because I wanted to spend time with her. So, you know, on your first date, how many felt totally comfortable? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. Because you did not feel comfortable, Right? We all felt uncomfortable. Well, you know, as we're watching the movie and her mom's looming over behind us, thanks, Mom, I appreciate that. Uh, she's watching over us. We're watching the movie, we're hanging, we're talking, we're having a good time. The night comes to a close, and I knew I had to leave at some point. So I get up and I walk to the front door, and we're just talking. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm probably not going to get a kiss. She's a holy lady. I get it. Probably not going to get a kiss, but maybe I can get a hug. And then as I hug, I'm, in my mind, I'm working this out. Like, do I turn this way? How do I walk out the door? I've got to make sure, you know, like, like you know, hey, girl, like, I, like Devin. Devin's got the swagger. I don't quite have it. But, and I didn't have Devin in mind, okay? But I just, I wanted to make sure that this was cool so I could date her again. So I'm standing there, and as we're getting ready to go, and I'm thinking about this in my mind, I had this tickle in my throat. And you know, when you have a tickle in your throat, what do you do? You cough. So I thought, no big deal. I'm kind of this close to her. I don't want to cough in her face. So I turn and I cough. And as I cough, you know, as that puff of air comes from my northern region, at the same time, I had this puff of air come from my 
southern region. I'm trying to say this because we're in church in a proper way. But yes, I did what we all are figuring out right now. I did. I coughed. It happened. And suddenly I felt so very uncomfortable. And I thought, I hope it doesn't stink after the cheesy bread and Diet Coke. Talk about feeling uncomfortable. Well, all I could do was laugh at that point, right? So I just, I just started laughing and, and just like, yeah, I guess I'm human, you know. I'm, I'm a real man. We see that. I'm a real man. I'm not hiding my feelings and my expressions. But as I walked away, (laughs) hey, look it. Here we are years later, four beautiful children, four grandkids. So obviously it's all good. We worked it out. And it's funny now, but it wasn't then. But you know, on a serious note, I think a lot of times these things happen in social settings and it's very uncomfortable. You ever walked into a room and you, people are giving you the smile and they're saying the right words, but there's something about the atmosphere that just isn't right. You don't feel comfortable. And I think it's really sad, but I think for us as believers, sometimes we feel this way with Jesus. Sometimes we feel this way with God because we come into a room and we think, now this isn't the truth, but we think that for some reason God is smiling at us. But he's winking his eye at Jesus like, we know what they're really about and what they're really up to. How many have felt that before? And so you don't feel comfortable. But let me say this. Your father wants you to feel comfortable with him. Jesus wants you to feel comfortable with him. I was just talking to a guy yesterday at Ethan's wrestling tournament. And they found out he went to church. And we were talking about how good God is and about Jesus. And I use this analogy a lot, but I think it's true. Even when we're in the, the deepest of despair, when we're in the, the worst of the worst, whether it's addiction or, or we're, we're circumstances or we're suffering through issues in life and we're in the ditch of life, you know what? When you roll over in that ditch, guess who's right there with you? Jesus. And he's just saying this. I believe with kind words, are you ready to get out of the ditch? Because I'm your way out of the ditch. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's there in the ditch. Will we get comfortable with Jesus? Because here's the thing. Even through those addictions and those issues in life, when we're comfortable with who we are in Christ, when we're comfortable in our relationship with Jesus, suddenly you will see yourself walking out what he's called you to walk out. And it seems almost effortless. But sometimes what we do is we've turned Christianity into this behavior improvement program based on our actions and our hard work. And we've forgotten to be comfortable with Jesus, comfortable with our relationship with our Father, because that's the answer to all those issues in life. And he's saying, will you awaken to this relationship that we have? He's saying, will you be comfortable with me? Now, there's a story in Luke chapter 14. Let's turn over there. And it's interesting to me because in this story, we see Jesus actually feeling uncomfortable. I love the fact that Jesus has gone through everything we've ever gone through. He's been tempted by every temptation we could be tempted by, yet he stayed sinless and he walked through. Why? He knew his relationship with his father. That should speak volumes to us. Amen. But in the story, Jesus actually felt that same not really comfortable feeling. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says, One Sabbath, say Sabbath, that's their holy day of rest to the Jews, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. How many are familiar with the Pharisees? They were basically the religious leaders of the temple establishment at the time. So he was eating a Sabbath meal at the home of this prominent Pharisee, and it says he was being carefully watched. 
He was being carefully watched. Jesus was in this place being offered food, offered a meal, but he could feel those eyes of condemnation. He could feel those eyes of accusation. He could feel those eyes of suspicion, and he didn't feel comfortable. We could say it like this. Jesus was not at home in the Pharisee's house. A religious leader, and Jesus didn't feel comfortable. He didn't feel at home in the Pharisee's house. Verse 2, there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, this is important, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? This is an important question because, you know, it was illegal to do any work on the Sabbath. So we ask this question, but look at this, verse 4, they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Now, these days, if we see a healing performed or someone healed, we're like, praise the Lord, Right? But the Pharisees had no response to this. And then verse 5, he says, let me ask you this. If one of you has a child or an ox who falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Look what they said. Nothing. They had nothing to say. Even legalism has no answer. Because they knew better. But they knew by the law that they weren't supposed to do work. And they frowned upon the fact that Jesus would dare do any work including healing on the Sabbath. This is what's so cool to me is Jesus came and he lived a sinless life, so he didn't break the law. He's the giver of the law. And he's here to make a statement. Things aren't exactly the way you thought they should be. People should be healed. We should go to their aid. We should help them regardless of this day that we put higher than people. See, sometimes what we've done is we put law higher than we have love. And the whole law is based on love. And Jesus is trying to show us this. He's saying, listen, you've got issues because you have these laws that say you cannot do, but you can't even walk in love towards others. You can't even look towards others. The law makes you look inward towards yourself, judge yourself, look at yourself. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm better than them instead of looking outward and saying, who needs my help right now? See, we're called to walk in love. So as Jesus is in this this Sabbath meal, this time at this Pharisee's house, he goes on to notice that the people are vying for position at the Sabbath meal. Like people literally were moving around trying to get to the head of the table to look more important than others. They're not focused on Jesus. They're focused on themselves. Here's the real issue. Neither the religious leaders or the guests invited saw their need for Jesus. Right in front of them, God of the universe in flesh, they didn't even notice him other than to gaze upon him with condemnation and suspicion. They didn't even realize who was sitting right before them. I think even in this world, we do the same thing to Jesus. We could look at him and say, you know, he was a great teacher. He's someone who gave us a great set of teachings, a great set of rules, things that we can live by, things that we can live by of our own effort, something we must do to try to apply it to our life or live by it. Some might see him as an example or maybe a pattern to live, which I think sometimes can even be worse. If we try and make him an example to follow, then we draw on our own strength, our own resources and self-effort to imitate him. But here's the thing. His perfection causes us to fall short every time. He's perfect. We are not. Do you follow this? You know, WWJD, great bumper stickers. It was really a great human idea, but guess what? It's not possible. It's not possible to live 
Jesus did not ultimately come to be a teacher or a pattern to follow. He came to be our life. I want you to follow me here because sometimes we hear this, we're like, well, well, shouldn't I look at Jesus and try to imitate him? I understand what, what the conclusion that we're drawing, but ultimately that's not why he came. He came to be our very life. See, the Pharisees saw him as a competitor. The people saw him as this rabbi or teacher, but none saw him as their savior. Do you see the difference? None were conscious of their need for him. And I think that we need to be careful sometimes not to fall into the same thing. Now, some of us might go, well, I don't understand that, Pastor. I I thought that I was supposed to imitate Jesus. But I want us to look the very next chapter over in Luke chapter 15. Because we'll see the exact opposite of what was happening in this Pharisee's house. Luke 15, chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Now think about this total opposite response to Jesus. He's in the home of religious leader, religious people. And they don't even notice him other than they have suspicion towards him. They don't see him as Savior, yet he goes to this place where the tax collectors and the sinners hung out. We went through this before. A sinner wasn't just a person who sinned. It was a person who actually the temple establishment saw them as someone who who did something that they didn't approve of, and they actually said, you now are an outcast. You're no longer uh, able to worship with us. You're banned from worshiping with us. This is what a sinner was. Can you see why the religious leaders had such an issue that Jesus would hang with these folk? They're like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a religious leader and you're hanging out with the very people that we've despised and we've cast out. Why would you do this? But what I see is I see the people who were hurting and knew that they couldn't do life on their own, that they couldn't live perfect, they saw Jesus as their savior. Jesus finally found those who were conscious of their need for him, aware of their need for him as savior. And guess what savior is? It's one who brings salvation. They knew they couldn't live life perfectly. I was thinking about this this morning as I was praying over my notes, and it just came to me. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, live life perfectly. He simply says, let me live my life perfectly through you. You see the difference? Jesus isn't standing outside of you, far away, in the distance, with the finger of judgment. This is the Christian middle finger right here. See it? The pointer? saying, live perfectly, that's what I expect. He's saying, let me live my life perfectly through you. That's why union is so important to understand. That's why we have to get comfortable with Jesus because if you're wanting to get through these struggles in life, the only way you're going to do it is by saying, wow, Jesus, I'm comfortable with you. I, I, I love the relationship we have together, and I see that you're my answer because a Savior is one who brings salvation. What is salvation? It's, it's safety, it's deliverance, it's healing, it's wholeness. The only way you can live this whole life is by recognizing Jesus is the only way you can do it, and then by being comfortable with him living his perfect life through you. Otherwise, we get in the performance mode. How many have been there? That was most of my Christian walk. If I could just perform a little better, I'll be okay with God. You know, this situation I'm going through, it must be because I haven't done things perfectly. But the very perfection of life was living on the inside of me saying, will you allow me to live my life through you? It's the only way that you can walk Christianity out. 
So this is a journey in union with Jesus. So we see here these religious leaders, these Pharisees, people who thought they can do it on their own. They never saw Jesus as Savior, as the one who brought salvation in your life, whereas the tax collectors and sinners saw, I can't live life perfectly. I can't do it on my own. How many... Give me a witness, right? We can't do life on our own. So then we awaken to, we need a savior. And it's not just for eternity. It's here and now. How many would love to have deliverance right now? How, much, how many would love to have safety right now? How about preservation? Wow. How about healing? How about wholeness? Do you know Jesus came to give that to us now? Here and now? Now, I, I think it's beautiful that I'm secure I have salvation. Uh, when I leave this, this dirt bag body, as Dr. Carl calls it, I know where I'll be. I'll be in eternity with my heavenly father. But what about here and now? Will we awaken to this unity that we have with God right here and right now? And so what I see here is Jesus didn't feel at home in the Pharisee's house, but Jesus was at home with the sinners and outcasts. I mean, even to hear that sometimes will just rock your world. You're like, what? How was Jesus at home with the sinners and the outcasts? Because they saw a need for him. And they welcomed him into their life. And I'll tell you what, you spend any time with Jesus and you let him love on you, baby, you're going to change. Way better than self-effort. Way better than 10 steps to a better you. Let Jesus live his life through you. Let him love you. Let him guide you and lead you and show you the way. And you'll see changes you could have never done on your own. So really this goes deeper than just the idea that I made Jesus my savior in 1987 in 1972 in 2004 whatever the age could be it's it goes so much deeper than that. See many believers receive Christ and then look to him as a teacher or a pattern no longer their savior. So he saves us, we have salvation, I'm good, like I'm going to a good place when I die, but what about here and now? So then we try to pattern our life after him instead of allowing him to live his life through us. Do you know that Jesus wants to be your savior every single day? I think for some of us, we're like, well, no, I made him savior like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. No, he wants to be your savior every single day. He wants to bring salvation and wholeness into every facet of your life every single day. Every area of your life needs his salvation, his healing, his preservation, his safety, his deliverance, his wholeness. Will we awaken to the union that we have and feel comfortable with Jesus? Jesus came to be our eternal and daily Savior. I love that statement. He's not just our eternal Savior, but he's our daily Savior, no matter what you're going through. And, and again, there's, I, I know there's people out there that are like, Pastor, you don't know the week that I had. You, you don't know what, what came down the pipe for me or, or what I'm feeling or how I reacted or what I viewed on the internet, how I responded to my coworker or my wife or my friends. No, I don't know all those things. But guess who does? Jesus. And you know Jesus is actually comfortable with you? Now, if you're in issues in your life, he's not comfortable with the fact that that's going to bring consequences to your life, but he's always, he's always comfortable with you. We have to see this because this is the answer to addiction. This is the answer to getting out of issues and circumstances in our life. But I'm telling you this right now, God's not in a great hurry to do it. He wants to spend time with you. You know, I, I talked earlier about that funny story with Kristen and I. You know, when we, when we stood at the, the altar 
and we, and we professed our vows and we say, said till death do us part, we meant it. But you know, Kristen gave 100% of who she was to me at that time, but I didn't know 100% of who she was. See, Jesus is the same way. He gives us 100% of who he is, but it takes time to understand what that means. It takes time to, to flesh that out and have an understanding and spend time and be loved and love back and work through this thing to where years down the road, we should have a deeper love and appreciation for Jesus than we ever had before. But unfortunately, if we get into legalism, we get into performance-based religion, what happens is we kind of negate that relationship building and we go to performing. Hey, Jesus, how am I doing? Am I doing okay now? Is this good enough? And you know what? It'd never be good enough. I used to think, man, this is so cool. I like, I read my Bible three days in a row for like 15 minutes a day. Say, whoa. I prayed every day for four days in a row. And then you run into someone, you're like, yeah, I've been doing that for a year every day. Wow. Well, whose performance is better? See, when I got out of that, I realized this isn't about whether or not I read my Bible every day or pray every day. It's about relationship with him. And then I'm like, oh, but wait a minute. Praying and reading my Bible is a way to have relationship. So suddenly, instead of becoming something I must do to please him or perform so I have more love from him somehow, it's something I do because he loves me so much. What else would I do? I want to have a relationship with him. And there's been some days where I literally have not picked up my Bible, but I've communicated to my father like all day long, just talking about what's going on in my life and, and where I am in this situation, not because he doesn't know, but to get it off my chest and talk to my daddy. And then he'll go, hey, you know what? Go to the scripture over here. I'm going to show you something about yourself. And then I read it, and he becomes so alive and so real. Because there's so many times that I've, I'll read my proverb of the day. Okay, Solomon, what you got for me? And then you read it, and you walk away going, I don't feel anything different here. But I've had times where God has shown me one verse, and I've marinated in that for a week, two weeks, a month. And it's so rich and it's so good, but it's because of my relationship with him. Because some of us, we're not Christians, we're biblicans. Like, we have a relationship with the Bible. Don't touch my Bible. Don't you touch my Bible. But, but half of us can't even touch our Savior. We have no touch with Jesus. And I think about people in countries who it's illegal to own a Bible. How do they have a relationship with God? They don't have a Bible. Because it's not about just the Bible, folks. It's beautiful that I'm an American. I've got, you know, I can do digital. I can do leather bound. I can do pleather bound. They're a little cheaper. Gold edges. It's beautiful. But what if you never had a Bible? Could you still hear from the Holy Spirit? Could you still have relationship with your Heavenly Father? I dare say yes. And so I'm not against the Bible, but I'm completely for relationship with God. And, 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 and Jesus, who we call what? the word of God, who then brings you back. The word always points to him. It brings you back. And then through the lens of Jesus, we're like, okay, now I see how this works. And then you fall in love with God like you never had before. And then try to tell someone like that to not read their Bible. Try to tell them not to talk to their daddy. And guess what? They're like, are you kidding me? This is my life now. Do you follow me? See, the moment that sinners came near, do you notice that Jesus feels at home? I did, this blows my mind. He felt at home with the sinners. Not because he was a sinner. I mean, we know he was sinless, amen? But because he was welcomed by those who realized that they needed him. As great of a sinner that you may see yourself as, always remember this, 
He is a greater Savior still. Even now as a believer, if you're struggling with a certain sin, if you're struggling with addiction, stop trying to quit under your own strength. It's not going to work. Willpower will work for so long, but man, when you get in this relationship with Jesus and it's real and you're comfortable, suddenly other things feel very, very uncomfortable and you have to really push through to do some sinning. Because you know it's not what you're built for. You know it's not who you are. And suddenly those things start to fall away, like naturally. And you go, how is this happening? And it's because you're comfortable with Jesus. I'm telling you, this is the answer, folks. So in Luke 15, 1, he says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen. Look at verse 2. But the Pharisees and the scribes, again, the religious establishment, began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Do you see the difference in their thinking? Do you see the difference in how they saw Jesus? See, grace is scandalous. Religion would say that these people don't deserve to be paid attention to. They don't deserve to be blessed. But how many know grace is free and not deserved? I mean, there's nothing we can do to earn righteousness. There's nothing we can do to to garner his love and grace except the very fact that he wants to give it to us. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's a giver. He loves humanity. We need to get this right. God loves you. He loves every person outside this building. But when will we love them? Right? Jesus said that they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. He gave us one main commandment, and he says, love others as I have loved you. He loves us unconditionally. We need to walk in love towards others. And that's what really will break down that wall of division. Whether you agree with them or not, whether you agree with their lifestyle or not, the only way to someone's heart is to love them. As soon as you judge somebody and you point your finger at them, they're going to close up, and you won't have an avenue into their life. If you really want to see change happen in someone's life, then love them right where they are. Just like Jesus. Let's not be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Now listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking anything out on them. I, I mean, they spent their whole life in this religious system. And I get it. I get why they saw the way they saw. But they weren't able to look past Jesus as just this moral character who would hang out with these peeps that he shouldn't hang out with to the fact that he was the Savior. He was their salvation. Again, grace is scandalous. But I'm so glad that he shed his grace on us, amen, and it's an amazing grace. Now in this process with this happening, he told this awesome parable. He says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he found it, he laid it on his shoulders rejoicing. And I love this. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends, all his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep which was lost. In other words, let's throw a party. He goes on to say, I tell you that in the same way that there will be more joy, say more joy, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I think this is a beautiful parable. His answer to the Pharisees when they said, why does this man receive and eat with sinners? The answer that you should have to anybody who questions the grace of God and the way of salvation with you should be this. It just makes me happy. I know it's simple. But when Jesus was asked, why? 
Why would you sit with these sinners? Why would you eat with them? He goes on to tell a parable and says, because when one of these sinners sees me as Savior, it makes me happy. It makes me glad. Because now I know they have truth. They have the way. They have the power and strength it takes to live life right. Do you see this? It simply makes God happy to spend time with us. It's not a big theological answer. It's simply, it makes me very happy. And Jesus would say this, I love to bless I love people to experience life with me. I love when people make me at home with them. Those who see me as Savior. Those who receive the salvation that I've offered to them. It's amazing that our salvation, our deliverance, constitutes the very happiness of heaven. I think this should bless your heart this morning. I think when we see this, we should realize the Father's heart towards us, that it's tender and it's loving and he cares about us and he sees what we're going through and he's saying, listen, son, listen, daughter, I am the answer. Will you believe that I'm the answer? It all comes down to faith, doesn't it? Jesus provided the way, but we have to believe it. It's by faith that we're saved. It's by faith that we come into salvation, whether it's eternity or here and now. We have to believe that Jesus provided, that he finished the work, and we have to say, I believe it and I receive it. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. How many would agree with that? And I think that confession isn't just a one-time thing. I think it's every day waking up and say, I'm loved by God. Jesus finished the work. I get to just revel in this. I get to be loved by my heavenly father. I get direction from the Holy Spirit. That's confession. Confession means to say the same thing. You say the same thing as God when you say those things. That's absolutely amazing. When God comes to your house, he doesn't come for you to give to him. He comes to give to you. So here's a question. Will you take from Jesus? I, I know we hear this. We're like, take, take from Jesus. Do you know when you decide to take from Jesus, let's use a good church word, receive from Jesus. Do you know that's humble? It's humble when we say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need to receive life from you. When we say, Jesus, I got this, man. Thanks for my ticket to heaven, but check this out. And we start performing. And, and, and God loves us, right? But, but he's got to be going, oh. it's like when I look at my little kids, they're like, look at me, look at me. And I'm like, I can help you. No, no, I got this, I got this. And then they open it wrong and it spills everywhere. And it's like, I told you I would help you. I still love my children. I just wish they would let me help them. See, it's humble, isn't it? To lay down the pride of performance and say, I can't do it on my own, but Jesus, I know you can through me. So I will receive the life. I will receive the strength. I will receive the salvation that you already provided for me. I believe that this is the secret of close relationship. As we close, I, I want us to, to see this. We started out talking about Jesus having the Sabbath meal. And the Sabbath meal is actually a beautiful meal that they would have. And, and the Jews today still practice this uh, on the Sabbath. It included an elegant tablecloth, candles, wine, and challah loaves. Now, how many like challah? Challah. That's our little joke. I love challah bread. But they had this beautiful spread. The traditional Sabbath meal is multi-course. It includes fish and soup, meat or poultry, and side dishes. And I was thinking about this as, as I'm picturing Jesus at this meal. The Pharisees gave Jesus a buffet of food, but their heart didn't really know him. 
They gave and they gave and they gave. And look at this spread. Look what we're providing. But their heart never really knew him. And if we're not careful, we can do that in our lives as believers. God, I'm giving you my gifts and my talents and my, and my finances and everything I am. Yet we don't even know who he is. We're not even comfortable with Jesus. We feel comfortable because, well, I gave my tithes and offerings and I, I did my one Sunday in church, you know, and work with the kids. Lord Jesus, that's got to be worth four ushering days, right? Working one time with the kids. And we think we're doing these things. We're giving these things. Jesus, I'm giving all this stuff to you. And he's like, put the stuff down for a minute. Will you just get to know me? Can you become comfortable with me? And then everything you do will be an outflow of that love relationship that we have. And it won't be stressful. It won't be heavy. It won't be hard. This is what I desire for you. But will you first learn to rest, to be warm, to feel at home and feel comfortable with me? Do you get this? This is the key. I know we talked about contentment last week and we're talking about relaxing this week because we're the church that just likes to lay around apparently. But I think we're a church that wants to have this understanding that relationship with God first and foremost is father to son, father to daughter, loving each other. And everything else we do is an outflow of that. Do you follow me? Otherwise, we do get burnt out. We get stressed out. We're like, why am I even doing this? Why am I getting up on a Sunday to go in early and to set stuff up? Versus, man, I can't wait to go early and set stuff up. There's some children, there's some people that need to receive the love of God. They need to be comfortable with Jesus just like I am. And you're even talking to Jesus. You're like, Jesus, this is so cool. We're going to touch just even one life today. Holy Spirit, just give me one life to touch. Why? Because you love people just like he loves people. Can we get to that place? I know a lot of you are already there, and it's beautiful, isn't it? But we have to be comfortable with Jesus. So you can give out of fear or pride and never know your father's heart. Or we give out of a loving relationship because we know our father's heart. This is interesting to note too. The weekly Sabbath was an occasion to rise above the work week's distractions and frustrations and focus on God and on family. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said this. He calls the Sabbath a delight. Do you know what the Bible calls Jesus? In the book of Hebrews, it says that he is our Sabbath. He is our delight. He is our rest. God in his inexhaustible supply and divine fullness is here for you to take from him. And he loves to give to you. Last verse for today, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes What does Jesus give? He gives salvation. What is salvation? It's deliverance, preservation, and safety. It's healing and it's wholeness. And it's not just something that we do in the sweet by and by. It's something we can live now. I like what one pastor says, heaven is now. Jesus had this prayer. He says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus came through the resurrection to reset all of creation and bring heaven into earth. He's the contact point. You have to get Jesus. You have to connect to the contact point. Does that make sense? But when you do, this is what's beautiful about it. And I really see us coming to this point, even as a, a church body, is, is where we, we understand grace. I mean, you'll never understand it all the way. But we understand grace and love. 
But there comes this point where we realize, wow, so really my, my journey in this life on earth is to continue through Jesus to bring heaven to this earth. Whether that be in, in government or politics or the workplace or, or just social circles or social media, whatever it may be, we all are called to something, right? But let's remember something. It isn't a political agenda. You follow me? It isn't a social agenda. It's a kingdom agenda. And the kingdom is, is what? Peace, joy, and righteousness. And it's built on what? Love. So everything we do should filter through and out of love. And that's how we can tell the difference between a political issue, a social issue, and see the kingdom through it. And we go, wow, this is done out of love. Even agreeing to disagree, sitting down, talking with people, empathizing with them, understanding where they are, and coming to some type of agreement that God loves all humanity. He loves all humanity. Jesus came to give. We come to receive. Say that with me. Jesus came to give. We come to receive. Say it again. Jesus came to give. We come to receive. Will you bow your heads with me? You know, whenever we as believers are going through something in our lives, whether it be a circumstance, maybe it's an addiction in our life, maybe it's just some issue that we're even embarrassed of, what should we do? I want you right now to concentrate on Jesus. Not just a man with dark skin on a cross or coming out of an empty tomb, but as the Spirit of Christ, the anointing. I want you to picture this because in every circumstance, we need to receive the salvation that He has provided. Look to Him, not the circumstance. Look to Him, not the addiction. Look to Him, not the issue. Don't be lost in the greatness of your circumstances or your addictions or your issues, but be found in the greatness of your Savior. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that today maybe we've become just a little bit more comfortable with you. I thank you, Jesus, that today maybe we've become just a little bit more comfortable with you. I love your promise that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. I love the promise that even when we're faithless, when we mess up, when we screw up, when we miss the mark, you are faithful. And God, you, you brought me through, through so many of those times where I was faithless. I knew you were there, but I didn't understand the closeness. I knew I had issues, but I didn't really see you as my Savior in those issues. I, I knew I had my ticket to heaven, but what about here and now? I'll keep struggling. I'll keep confessing. I'll keep working hard. And it wasn't until I realized that you're there with me in the ditch. You're there with me to lead me, to guide me, to help me, to be my life, to live your very life through me. You gave your life to me so you could live your life through me. You weren't pointing your finger at me saying, I want perfection, live perfectly. You were saying, will you let me live my life perfectly through you? What a difference it makes. Pray that every person here this morning would see this. They'd see the truth in this. 
that you, Jesus, are our life. We need to depend on you. You're our strength. You are our ability. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Andy, I've never made a decision for Jesus. I've never quite even seen it this way that Jesus actually wants me to take or receive from him. And I would love to do that. If you're here today and say, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he was buried and that he was resurrected to newness of life. And that means that if I accept this, then I now can be, be buried with him. I can resurrect with him and have a brand new life. If that's you here today, just quickly raise your hand to say yes to Jesus. It's a real simple decision. It's agreeing with God. Say, God, I agree that you did this for me out of your love. And I choose today to say yes to Jesus for brand new life. I pray for every person here, Heavenly Father. Whether it's someone just still contemplating this salvation idea, whether it's a believer who maybe isn't experiencing salvation in areas of their life, I just pray they would see you. They would feel comfortable with you. That your healing, saving power would transform those areas of their life. In Jesus' name, I speak to addictions right now. Those addictions have a name, and every name must bow its knee to the name of Jesus. If you have addiction in your life, and it's something you seem to struggle with over and over, I want you even under your breath right now to say, bow your knee in Jesus' name. Bow your knee in Jesus' name. I thank you for your healing power in people's lives, their emotions, their mind, their will, their emotions. Healing power in bodies right now manifest in Jesus' name because it's all because of you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would continue to see that Jesus is the answer in everything we go through. He is our salvation. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.